Number 11, William Ho, which is pretty crazy. Welcome to Clock Our Counter. I'm James Wiseman, and with me is Ryan Young. So today, Ryan, by his own admission, is in a terrible mood. So even more than usual, I'm going to carry. Is that an accurate assessment, Ryan? E. Wait, more than normal? I think we were just recording at a different time, but this is like the average for me. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, I don't want you to say as your fake pretend lawyer, I don't want you to say anything on the record (laughs) about the things at work that put you in a bad mood. So we will move right along then. So first, I wanted to do a little bit of a retrospective on our draft last week. So if you haven't listened yet, go back to our last podcast and take a listen we did a draft of moves where you had to draft moves in certain categories like throws, catches, pulls, wild card, and you had to pick a player associated with those moves. So I reached out to some folks, got a little feedback on who won the draft. And there's a little bit of self-selection bias here because I was the one asking around. And so far, it's pretty unanimous that I crushed you in the first clocker counter move draft. Do you have any immediate reaction to that? No, but I feel like all the people evaluating don't have an accurate, accurate simulation in their brain. I mean, what would Ilka say to the fact that you are denying Stefan Dunkel's assessment that I <laughs> beat you in the first draft? I mean, that's a heavy hitter right there. We talked about some of our regrets in the podcast, but I do have one that I was thinking about and I wanted to get your thoughts on. So we talked about how Joey wasn't drafted and we talked about how a lot of the best players don't necessarily excel at any particular area and therefore weren't necessarily the highest draft picks. But I do think Joey does have something that he's a very good pick for that neither one of us picked him for, which is tipping. And I think there's good reasons for that. But do you have any thought right off the bat on Joey as a picking Joey in the category of tipping? So I thought about that when you brought up Joey during the episode, but there was I had already filled up any place to choose it by then. I And I think part of the tricky thing is, and maybe this is a controversial statement, but how valuable is tipping? I don't think it's that valuable in jamming or in competition at the moment. It's kind of a weird thing. I mean, it's weird to say I love tipping, especially when my fingers still worked. I used to be a big tipper, tipped in a lot of routines, tipped in a lot of videos, combos. I love tipping. But if I were actually ranking move types, brushes, rolls, kicks, catches, throws, whatever... Tipping has to be pretty far down on the list, right? Yeah, it has no utility. It's just, it's like, yeah. In fairness, one of my all-time favorite moves is a tip back, which does have a lot of utility. But that's not why you would pick Joey. You'd pick Joey for, I mean, certainly he's great at tip backs, but there's a lot of people that are great at tip backs. But Joey's real skill is just restricted tipping, spinning tips. And I know, for instance, Matt... Gothier thinks Joey's the greatest tipper of all time. I think that's right. 
in fairness, there are a few other people that are all time tippers like Tom Leitner, Dave Lewis. I feel like I'm missing some other really obvious one, but those, those three players are all time fantastic tippers, but tipping is so, I guess to put it the way you put it in the kind of restricted tipping sense, it is a really low utility move. It's one type of move. It's generally coolest when it's just consecutive restricted tips. It has to be flat. It has to be kind of in the same position. And once you've seen one great tipping combo, you've generally seen them all. There's obviously exceptions like the main tipping combo that everyone knows from, I don't know, I guess it was like a 1986 or 1984 US Open that Joey did off of Chipper's Throw. That's for sure, in my mind, the greatest freestyle combo ever. Top five, top 10, however you want to do it. But yeah, it's just interesting. I never really thought about it before, though, in terms of tips just not being that important. It feels weird to say. Any other thoughts? Mm, no. <laughs> Are we going to get any pro tipper hate mail about that commentary? <laughs> Possibly. Okay. Well, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear a defense of tipping. Okay. We have one more update and then we're just going to have a very short podcast where we talk a little bit about the updated rankings. The other update, which is kind of like a Duke update, but there's a little bit of a different flavor to this one, which is we had not one, but two freestyle movie nights this weekend with the Duke players. So two in a row, both of them, as Dougie would say, Saturday and Sunday freestyle video night. So the first thing that was fun is I had Will take a first cut at selecting videos. So it was interesting to see what he chose as his favorite freestyle videos. <laughs> and of course, I added some videos myself and there was a huge time gap. So all my videos are from 2009 to 2012 which makes a lot of sense. I think it's kind of like how the music you like is essentially the music you liked when you were in middle school, high school and college. I think I will forever be in love with the freestyle videos I grew up watching when I was 18, 19 and 20. And one thing that was fun about watching these videos together is it was also a short history of the improvements in video technology. So you know, one of my all-time favorite videos is the Guidus Beach Jam that I think Tommy first uploaded to a non-YouTube website in 2008 or 2009. And the video quality has not aged well. At the time, it was incredible, but it must be in like 240p with a lot of interlacing. And it is pretty pretty tough to watch at times on the quality and I had to sort of explain to the Duke students that we didn't just have video cameras in our pockets all the time. I remember it was a really <laughs> big deal when Chuck Kusky brought a 360p camcorder to Sheet Meadow. It was like an incredible day that goes down in history. And I was always, I feel like every time he showed up, I was like, do you have it? Do you have it? Do you have it? It's that super annoying kid who wants the video camera to be there. And of course it never was. But nowadays, everyone has a 4K incredible camera on their phone in their pocket. But we had a great time. I think for some of the players at the video nights, really hadn't been exposed to a lot of freestyle videos. 
And so they were meeting a lot of the players. They were seeing a lot of the moves. It was really fun to see who they're really excited by and who they weren't so impressed by. I also found that everyone was really into routine videos, which kind of surprised me because for my money, I prefer jam videos probably because they're much more curated. But the excitement of the crowd, I think, was really appealing to people. Does it surprise you that my Duke freestylers were more interested in their routines? Mm, no, I I think that's matches. I don't know. I'm trying to compare it to me, but I can't remember. <laughs> it, it was also kind of encouraging because a lot of the routine videos, there is a little bit of a crowd and there is a little bit of audience energy. And it kind of encouraged me that even though there are times where I feel really down on kind of the shrinking of freestyle, there is still interest in this and people that are watching it and enjoying it. Of course, the couple of times we pull up a video from Austin, Texas in the 1980s, and there's, you know, a thousand people in a ring around the freestyle field. It's a little bit humbling, but I still feel like we're in a relatively good place with our competition. But let me give you a few highlights. Big fans at Duke of Arthur Coddington and Dave Lewis. We watched some videos of their runs in 2003 and 2004. And my guys were super impressed. And I actually think we need to do a little bit of revisionist history here because everybody knows Arthur and Dave were amazing freestylers. Everyone knows they won a million world titles in the 90s. And I think the unfair aspect of their reputation is that they were just two Terminators hitting really crazy moves. And lost in that narrative is how awesome their routines were. It's so hard. Their routines would be the best routines right now. They're, they are really complicated. They do have really hard moves, but they work well with the music. They have really great choreography. They have really great co-oping. And they're so clean. There's like absolutely no fluff in their game. There's hardly any wobble. And one of the most impressive rounds they have is it looks like it's nighttime and I think 2004 worlds in Rimini, Italy, and the wind has to be 25 to 30 miles per hour. When they throw it, the gist just kind of sits there in space and you have to run up to go get it because it's not moving. And they have maybe one or two drops. Arthur hits a quadruple spinning pull, which I can't imagine has happened very many times in a freestyle tournament. So if you haven't gone back and looked at some Dave and Arthur footage, Highly recommend it. Have you seen any of those videos, Ryan? I have not. Oh, man. I would send them to you, but there's no way you're going to watch them, right? <laughs> nope. We also watched some footage of Pat Marin, and Will was basically like, why don't we talk about Pat Marin more? He's incredible, which I completely agree with. That's why I added a bunch of videos of Pat Marin to this footage, but they just couldn't believe that they never heard of him and that... We don't talk about him all the time. Couldn't agree more. Everyone is a big fan of Matt. No surprises there. I did a lot of Matt pushing over the course of the videos. We watched one of my favorite routines, which is probably an all-time favorite routine that isn't very good, which is the 2017 routine with Matt and Fabio Sana. 
And I only say it's not very good because they just had a lot of drops. They didn't play very well given how great of players there are. But man, it's one of my favorite rounds to watch. There's at least two long sections where it's among the best freestyle I've ever seen in my life. And there's something about the combination of Matt and his kind of raw power and athleticism and Fabio's smooth grace that works so well. And I wish they had played more. Do you remember that round? I remember watching it, but I watched also watched the video after. I don't, I don't know. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Just if you're in doubt, just skip to the last minute and a half. And it's really awesome. They really bring it back together. Couple more I'll touch on, and then I'll tell you the the highlight video of the entire weekend. Guided Speech Jam was a big hit when Tommy does multiple. We still haven't come up with the name for this. This is the move I was trying to explain the other day, and you didn't know what I was talking about, and I didn't know how to describe it. But it's coming down clock. It's coming at an angle towards the left side of your body. You take your right foot, you swipe it behind your left leg, and you hit the disc on the side of your shoe, kind of like a hitch kick, but with your left foot planted. What would you call that kick? Oh, I... Is that the one where you see like Southeast Asian people kicking it like that, like a like a badminton thing, the shuttlecock? Like they isn't that the default kick in that hobby? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I I think of it in my head as a heel kick, but I don't think it it's not doesn't involve your heel very much. Like maybe it hits the side of your shoe where the heel is, but it's, it's like more a like non spinning donkey kick. Is that what you're thinking? It is kind of like a non-spinning donkey kick, but you don't hit it with the sole of your foot generally. It's usually more like the side of your foot. Like if you think of your the sole of your shoe having a edge to it, you kind of kick it on that edge. Anyways, Tommy does it barefoot multiple times, passing consecutive. I think that's, it's weird to say this, it's the third best video of Tommy, which sounds very underwhelming, but that's actually incredibly impressive. Because the first two most impressive Tommy videos are one, like lifetime highlights to 2012 and 2012's highlights. So it's taking long periods of time and cutting out the best combos. So, of course, those videos are incredible. But this one jam on Guy to Speech, when you look closely, the sand is terrible. There's like hardly any beach at all. And it's Mikey Reed, Skippy Jammer, and Tom Leitner. And all three are absolutely shredding. And it's definitely one of those videos where the more you watch it, the more you start to appreciate what Mikey and Skippy are doing because they're also playing at a crazy high level. But with that, the absolute winner of the video watching weekend extravaganza was the video called Clock versus Counter with Graf and Edo. My guys were thrilled to see those two play together amazed at the high level of skill they had we have a lot of questions about the rules of the video because if you haven't seen it at the beginning maybe graph makes a mistake and it goes you know clock one versus counter zero meaning graph lost a point edo gained a point and then edo makes a mistake and it's tied one one but then there's a lot of mistakes that we felt watching didn't get counted on the scoreboard and we might need to do some revisionist history of who won the battle clock versus counter but it was super fun to watch i will say 
would love to see more videos get posted and I would love to see more videos back on YouTube. So I know a lot of people post on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. TikTok, and of course that makes a lot of sense. That's where most of the people are watching. But for me, it's important that even if you post something on social media, if you have the time, whenever, it's not about getting views, it's about archiving. Just go put your videos on YouTube, make sure they're labeled freestyle for you somewhere. I wanna be able to find them and I wanna be able to go back to them five years from now. I can't do that on TikTok. I can't do that on Insta. I can't do that on Facebook, really. So if it's not on YouTube, it kind of disappears forever. So call to action, please post on YouTube. Now I'm going to ask a dangerous question here, Ryan. Do you have any favorite freestyle videos? Yes. I think my number one favorite is the Jacksonville Beach Best Friend Jam. That's a good one. We did start watching that, but I told Edo, I told Edo, I, wow, that's a good Freudian slip. I told Will I could only watch so many videos of myself. And that one is really cool. But I think now I'm at the point where I watch it and I think, oh, there's things I would do better now, which is a good place to be. It take it, you know, when you first start playing, it doesn't take very long to look back at a video you're in and think, Oh, I was so bad back then. Now it takes longer for that to happen. And I think 2018 is now in the range where I look at videos of myself in 2018. And I think there's a lot of things that I could do better. Do you know what I mean? Yep. But I think it's the highest average. Do you think it's the highest average of the three of us? Or was there another time in history? It's hard to say. I think some of the beach weekend videos from 2022 are better, but it's not just the three of us. But... I think one important thing that's worth notice, noting about the 2018 Best Friend Jam video is it's one of the rare videos in freestyle that has all of the boxes checked. So it was actually actively filmed with two cameras. So Lori Daniels and Paul Kenny were filming in real time, moving the camera around with really good framing of where we were. So Lori has been a photographer in the past and she knew what she was doing and the footage was gorgeous. So that's step one, which is very rare in freestyle videos because most of us are just putting a camera down and filming because what else are we going to do? So that helps a lot. The players are obviously good. It's me, you, and Jake. That helps a lot. The conditions were actually pretty tough that day. I remember because I felt like I was disappointed when we left the field that we had this great opportunity that we were on the beach with hard pack sand with three great players and people were filming us, but the wind was, you know, around 20 miles per hour. So it was kind of challenging, but not surprisingly, and maybe the hour of footage we shot, there was lots of good stuff in there. So I do think if we had the opportunity to check all the boxes like that more often, we would have more great freestyle videos and it's just a matter of doing it, but it's work. Who wants to sit there and film a freestyle jam for multiple hours. It's really hard to do, you know? <laughs> yep. Like looking back, I wish there's a lot of things I wish we'd done differently in the spread the jam project. I say we, I know like you weren't involved in this, so this is really my burden to share. But well, so the spread the jam project when we did that, it was a friend of mine who's actually a really accomplished director and does lots of real life cinematography. And he introduced a lot of important elements of filming to me, but to him, the most important thing was having 
great lighting, which we couldn't afford to do without relying on natural conditions, which meant recording at sunset and sundown, which meant you only had 10 or 20 minutes to film. So it didn't really lend itself to, okay, let's have a jam for an hour and pull the best footage out. But I do kind of wish going back when we made this for the GM videos, we had done more projects where we really had longer periods of time to let good freestyle happen naturally rather than trying to artificially draw it out. I think I was a new player back then, so I don't necessarily understand this, but now I know how hard it is when someone just points a camera at you and says, start doing your hardest moves. You don't really necessarily... That's not how we normally freestyle hmm. and it's hard to just press that button and the kinds of stuff that you would do in that circumstance may lend itself well to impressing people on a seven o'clock news conference or something, but it's not the part of freestyle that excites me. So as I think about at Columbia, some news crew came up and asked me to do a couple of moves. So I just do like three doubles and move on, but I don't need to go back and watch myself hit a double that I've hit 10,000 times. If I want to do anything actually interesting in freestyle, it needs to be in the context of a long jam where we're actually exploring the space, if that makes sense. Yep. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I'm all about the talking content. And so if there's no like commentary or something on top of it, it's all in the same bucket. It's like the difference between a video with talking versus not is greater than the best video and the worst video without talking. That's fair. But how would you pair talking content with just cool freestyle? Uh, have you seen those 10 minute uh, photo shoot challenges where they take a professional photographer and a dancer and they have 10 minutes to do a photo shoot in the city and they like run around really fast? Something like no. that where it's really active. It's interesting you say that because once again, just like in my spread the GM project days, I'm interested in how to push content up to the front of a freestyle Frisbee search, but I don't know what content to push to the front. And I'm trying to think of the right combination of something that's enticing to a lay audience that hasn't seen freestyle before. Also somehow informative or pushes them towards a place where they could learn about freestyle. And I don't know how to balance those things or how to do it. I, I was think, definitely thinking uh, it would be something that involves lots of different freestylers, but I don't really know what to do. I think every successful content creator has like a year of experimentation where they made a hundred videos that didn't work that were super time consuming. But now that yeah. they're popular, it's probably easy for them to make the next video. So we're still in that first hard year. That can be in our retire one of our retirement projects. I'm still just down generally on the idea of using videos to attract freestylers because even a million people is not enough. It has to be like 500 million people and maybe we'd get a couple of freestylers out of it. But I do think the search algorithm I'm a little more concerned about because if you're searching for freestyle, that means you're interested in it. But if you come across the wrong kind of content, it might turn you off the sport. So that's kind of the thing that I've been thinking about. But that also presents a different kind of problem because if you're searching for freestyle, 
I don't necessarily need to attract you anymore. It's more like sustain your interest, which means maybe it just has to be kind of cool. But I don't know, something, a topic for another day. Any other favorite freestyle videos you remember? Hmm. Going back to the video that I like because I saw it in high school was the Jake and Matt Amsterdam finals. 2007. So yeah. we watched that. That's always on my movie night list. And this is a weird thing to say. I'm not sure it's aged well. And the only reason I say that is because it's so safe relative to their skills. And especially watching it with Will for the first time, Will's just sitting there like, I can't believe they caught that under the leg. Or like, <laughs> why did they do that? I kept thought they'd be like, it was a different system. <laughs> yeah. You had to be really safe back then. The drops hurt you so much. And given that system, it is a sweet routine and the cleanliness of it and the execution of it certainly gives it a lot to say over some of the routines that happen now. So maybe we haven't quite got the balance right in terms of safety versus excitement. But when I, I should be careful when I say it hasn't aged well, it's all relative. It's still one of my all time favorite three style routines, but it's not the video I would show somebody to show them how good Matt and Jake are, which is true for me too. I would never show anyone any of my routines. So maybe it's just part for the course and part of my problem with routine based freestyle. But it was interesting that I think, you know, I feel that kind of nervousness when it's movie night of like, okay, are people still interested? Are they still having fun? Are people getting bored? And I started to get a little nervous when we were watching the Amsterdam video of thinking, oh, maybe we need to move on to something that's a little more crazy because this isn't totally working for everybody. So that was just my experience there. But let's stop now because I feel like we could have a whole episode where we draft our, maybe not, maybe it's not a draft, but it's more just like, I'll bring my 10 favorite videos, you bring your 10 favorite videos, and we can talk about why they're important to us and why they're cool and what they mean to the sport. So cool. With that, I think I've killed enough time to sort of make this into a podcast. So let's go to the last thing, which is updated player rankings. So I feel bad because it ultimately was incredibly easy to update the rankings. And if I had just gone in and pushed the buttons a month ago, we would have had rankings done a month ago. But the new rankings are up as of today. These rankings reflect all the tournaments that we have results for from September 2021 to September 2023. I'll admit I didn't really bother to look into how we're supposed to deal with COVID. I just don't really, I'm not really worried about that anymore. And unless someone complains, which I kind of doubt it, these are the rankings. Um, and of course I also updated the ratings. So those are up here, up there too. And let's take a look. Ryan, are you able to see the rankings? Yeah, I'm looking at them now. Okay. So one thing to know right at the back, so if you don't know where the rankings are, by the way, you can go to freestyledisc.org, go to the players tab, and you can go to players rankings. And you added a new feature, which allows you to see every version of the rankings that has been uploaded. Correct? Yes. And from the nooses, from the, since we now switched we might, over. <laughs> we might have to make a tool to delete versions because we do have five versions in five consecutive days in 2022 
which is probably when we were playing around with the new <laughs> ranking system. And so that doesn't really reflect anything other than our testing. But the most important thing you can do that I think is cool now is you can compare the end of the year 2022 rankings, the pre-world rankings, and the post-world rankings. So just to give a lay of the land, pre-worlds, here with the top 10 players by ranking. I was number one with 2,066 points. Then it was Murdad Hosseinian with 1,529. Then it was Chesko Santolin with 1,267. Then Daniel O'Neill. Now the point spreads are a lot closer together. Then Ed Oturi, Ryan Young, Anka Radwanski, Andrea Festi, which I kind of forgot about. It's pretty cool. Pavel Baranek and Andreas Rivera, number 10. Post-Worlds, a few big things have changed. So I'm still number one with 12, 2,192. Daniel O'Neill moves into the number two slot with 1,367 points. I believe that's the highest he's ever been ranked, right? I would guess yes. Chesko is still three. You move up to four. Murdad, who didn't compete in Worlds, is still fifth. Murdad, which I think is actually really high. It's hard to have be in the top 10 with only two World slots. Anka is six. Edo is seven. Andrea Festi also, actually Edo and Andrea retain top 10 rankings despite missing Worlds this year. Tom Leitner moves up to nine. And Andreas Rivera somehow stays... 10 just important note number 11 william ho which is pretty (laughs) crazy uh also worth noting the point spread has widened sort of so before worlds number one had 2066 and number 10 had 628 and now well actually it hasn't gotten as crazy as I thought. Maybe I'm not looking at the right. No, I guess the point spread is about the same. Um, Any thoughts on the changes in the top 10? Anything surprising to you? It's just math, so I guess it shouldn't be. No, that seems all logical to me. So before we get into the women's rankings and the ratings, there's definitely a very, I think, exciting race for the number one spot. So I'm not competing in Worlds this year, which means I'm going to lose a ton of points. In fact, I'm not competing at all this year. So all my points are going to start decaying, which means decaying's the wrong word because it makes it sound like there's some process. My tournaments are going to get wiped out. So if nothing else happens, Daniel O'Neill would become the number one player in the world. But of course, that depends on how Worlds 2024 and Poland works out. And for my money... It's Daniel's to lose in terms of who's going to be number one player in the world. What do you think? I think that's correct. Like because of the two year cycle, you have to have a world's result. This a good world's result this year to challenge Daniel. And there's only so many people in the top 10. Like it's Francesco, Anka and me. It's (laughs) it's really, yeah, it's really you Anka and Chesco, I don't think you're that threatening only because you've been playing with newer players lately. I don't know. Do you have 
part. I don't even know if you want to say this on the podcast. Do you have partners yet for 2024? I only have a mixed partner at the moment. Okay. And I can tell you that my Duke players are already getting partnered up. So they might not even be available to you, but I'll be curious to see who you play with. And I mean, Will is a dark horse. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> doubt that you would jump in everyone, but he's going to be one of the few players in the top 20 that will have points for two different world cycles. But one thing that's kind of upsetting or sad is compared to other years, I think, and this is a little bit of a holdover from COVID, the people in the top 50 don't have that many tournament results. So Will, for instance, is number 11. He has three tournaments, which (laughs) is both an incredible sign of how well he's performed in the three tournaments he competed in, but also not a great sign for the, I don't know, enthusiasm about competition right now. Pavel Bronik, by the way, is number 12 with two tournaments. So one thing that does make Will a little bit of a dark horse is he's got five slots that are zeros <laughs> right now because the rankings, if you don't remember, is your top eight results. So if he just entered five more tournaments, he would vault up the rankings into the top 10. But other than Will and Pavel, most of the other top players have at least are a lot closer to having all eight slots filled. But hopefully this fires some people up because there's a lot of high ranking places that will be shuffling around in the next year. And anyone who wants to take competition seriously for the next six months can make a real run at a top five or even top one ranking. Um, So I'm excited to see who ends up taking the top slot. If it's not Daniel, my money's on Chesco. And Daniel, to his credit right now, has, it looks like, the most tournaments of any player in the world with 17, which is really impressive. Although I have to say, back in the day, the top 10 players had like 25 tournaments. So I think we got to start hosting more (laughs) tournaments. Okay, let's take a look at the women's rankings. So pre-Worlds... The point spread, I don't want to overtax everyone with the point spread, but the difference between the first ranked player and the 10th ranked player is 1,423 points versus 217 points. And in order, we have Ilka Zimon, Benedict Audit. I never know if I'm saying her last name right. I think I'm saying it wrong, which is a shame because I know her so well. Three is Bianca Kostelova. Four is Char Pal, super cool. Five is Katie Gimma. Six is Zofia Wiltzek. Seven is Juliana Korver, which that's the COVID holdover from 2019 because this is pre-Worlds rankings. Eight is Frederica Proietto. Nine is Gloria Alessandrini. And 10 is Emilia Zoila. So let's look at post-Worlds rankings. Ilka Zimon, still number one. Bianca Kostelova moves up to number two. Benedict Audit moves down to three. Katie Gimma moves up to four. Char moves down to five. Zofia Wilczek is six, close to where she was before. Frederico, Frederica Proietto is seven. Gloria Alessandrini is eight. Nine is Emily Zoila. And 10 is Fabiana Cicerello. I don't know why 
there's a lot more foreign names among the women and I butchered a lot of them. So my sincere apologies for that. But one really cool thing to note here, which I don't even know what to do with, is in the open rankings, I said that Daniel, as far as I can tell, has far more tournaments than everyone else with 17. And like I've looked down to uh, the top 100 and he's crushing everybody. Women ranking in contrast, the top players have between 17 and 27 tournaments. So the women are doing a far better job than the men right now of competing in lots of tournaments. Am I missing some reason for that, Ryan? Do I need to check the data? That's not exactly what that suggests. It means the women, specific women, are more consistent at going to tournaments. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I mean. That's really all I'm getting at. So, But they're not going and, to more tournaments. They're they just, have more divisions? Some individuals are more consistent because... You could have a hundred male players, a hundred open players all go to 10 tournaments each and they all would have like 10, but that's Uh like, that's like a thousand or whatever attendees, but like the women could have like 10 and each go to 20. That's only 200. I'm just talking about the number of events they've competed in. Isn't events mean divisions and tournaments? Yeah. Like having a higher number on per person doesn't mean they like went to more tournaments. Because there's really? less women. What does it mean? <laughs> it means that certain people are okay. So if you're like, who's the most consistent person going to tournaments? It would be a woman. That's what it means. But are you telling me Katie Gemma did not go, to, did not compete in 23 divisions of tournaments? Yeah. But what it makes it sound like is the women are going to more tournaments than everyone else. Didn't Katie Gemma go to more tournaments than any open player? <laughs> but that's uh, it's true, but it's not. It's this is where like English and the actual logic don't line up, or it's a, really ambiguous. I am so confused by what you're saying right now. All I know is every event represents a division and a tournament. Mm-hmm. I guess women have more divisions count towards their ranking. Is that part of it? Uh, I mean, that also helps. I don't know. You're blowing my mind. You'll have to explain that to me offline. But I'm excited. Ilka's number one. She got number one right before Worlds. She kept it. Totally deserves it. She's an awesome player. Bianca, number two. I think BB's been a number one women's ranked player in the world. Am I right about that? Yeah, in 2017, 18. So cool to see her back. I'm sure as long as she wants to keep competing, Benedict will reach number one. I'm sure KD Gemma will reach number one. And I also have no doubt that KD Gemma will com- keep competing. It'd be really interesting to know whether Sharp Powell could make it to number one. I don't see any reason why she couldn't. She's kind of had, in my mind, a lot of bad luck at tournaments recently. I feel like she's always placing just a hair lower than I think she should. But she could make it to the top spot. And then of course, Zofia is going to be just a world beater. And I would expect her to be competing for the top spot at some point in terms of the race for next year's number one spot. It really should be down to Ilka, BB and Katie, maybe Char because they're the only women on here that have world's points from this year and that I expect to have world's points next year, right? Yep. 
So Katie, if you're out there listening, the door, the door is open. Um, cool. So the last thing we'll look at this is the ratings. The ratings by their design don't change as much. Although this is pretty cool. Daniel is now the second rated player in the world. And that's a big jump. He was the seventh rated player pre-Worlds. And now he's moved all the way up to two. That's a huge jump, right? How many how much ELO is it? Because he, he had two twelve hundred and eighteen pre-worlds. Okay. And so post like worlds he is two six twelve sixty-five. Yeah, fifty ELO is a lot. That's like like if you were to train really hard for one year in a professional sport, that's about the the gain you would get. Yeah. Let's see if anything else interesting is happening here. I love the peak rating. So Pavel moved down a little bit. Matt Gothier still at number five. Just love seeing his name there. Murd at six, at 07. Fabio Nito eight is still really cool to me. To me, that says something right about the rating system because he's one of the best players in the world, but he just has an irregular competition schedule and doesn't compete in lots of worlds. But he is ranked eighth. It's pretty crazy. Tom is nine. You're 10. Anka's 11. Dave Schiller's still 13. Pretty, pretty cool. Who's the highest rated woman? Do you happen to know off the top of your head? I don't. We'll have to find it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to just scroll through the names. I think that's the kind of thing that'll change a lot once we have all the data in. I would imagine someone like Lisa would be super highly rated. I see Amy Schiller is the first name that jumped out to me. Oh, and Emma's right above her. So they're actually 74 and 75, which is pretty cool. That's a super high rating, right? Yeah. And when you look the names around like Bill Wright and Larry. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. And Benedict is already 81 and she's got a ton of room to grow. So pretty cool stuff. Um, Hope we can get some more people competing this year. I think one of my goals is going to be to try to encourage people to make it out to tournaments to support freestyle. But if you're out there and you listen to this podcast, please just go out there and compete. All right, Ryan. So I think I carried us through 45 (laughs) minutes with my incessant blithering Sorry for a little bit of a low energy podcast, but we're trying to keep the schedule. We're dedicated to our two week release cycle. We've still somehow sustained it. Ryan, any last thoughts? Mm, Nope. Save it for the next episode. Okay. Next time we'll come back fully energized and excited and uh, looking forward to it. All right. So with that, check us out at clockercounter.com. Send us an email at clockercounter.gmail.com and we'll talk to you next week.